Dark Cast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Greetings, believers, skeptics, and paranormal thrill seekers. To this, the sixth episode of Through the Veil. It has been so much fun putting these episodes together and getting better at creating them. It takes time to get things right, and I hope you feel that we're doing a good job. The content of this episode was brought to our attention by a listener, Mark Bustos. This was a lot of content to go through and adapt it for a podcast episode, so I hope you all enjoy it. I'm your host, JD, and on today's episode, we're going to dive into a story that has been floating around for about 21 years online. Through that time, it has been debated as true or hoax. I am, of course, talking about Ted's caving page. The story is about a descent into not only Mother Earth, but seemingly into madness. How many of you have seen the film, The Goonies? Do you remember the scene where they were going to move a rock out of the way to climb further down into the cave as they were trying to get away from the Fratellis? The actress says, God put that rock there for a reason, and I don't think you should move it. That's the exact feeling I got as I read through the content presented here. Sometimes, things and places are off limits for a purpose, and chances are someone or something made it difficult to get to on purpose. Now, as I said earlier, the information here is 21 years old, and I believe that part. As the website TED, in quotation marks, created, was created on Angel Fire. This goes way back to the old school days of web spaces like Angel Fire and GeoCities. Yeah, I'm that old. The last dated entry on the page is in May of 2001. To be honest, I was completely surprised that the page was still up because I know my old band's website on GeoCities is long gone. This story has fallen into the creepypasta territory, but it was a good read nonetheless. A lot of the story is the difficulty they encountered trying to access another part of the cave they had found in a rock face with only a small enough hole to fit a glove through to enter. It's a shame that all the hard work they put into getting into this cave didn't pay off in the end. Instead, it paid them back. Now let's begin the story of Ted and the cave that should not be. Ted and his cave exploring buddy, B, were anxious to try to get one more cave exploring trip in before the new year. It was December 30th, 2000. They had limited time, you know, since the end of the year was literally a day away. So they made up their mind to give Mystery Cave another go. This cave wasn't anything spectacular. In fact, there wasn't anything really exciting about it at all. Ted, however, was a little more excited about this trip to what was considered an average cave Because of his last visit, Ted had discovered a small opening in the rock face in the deepest part of the cave. A hole in a rock in a cave. What's so exciting about that? Well, it just so happens that this particularly small hole had a lot of airflow coming through it. Now, I'm not a cave explorer by any means, but I know if there is airflow, then there is another room or passage that leads from or to somewhere. Now, B and Ted had been caving together for a few months, probably closer to a year. He had been injured in a caving accident a few years back, and the medical professionals told him that he'd never walk again. But B was stubborn, and he refused to give up. Through a lot of hard work and dedication, he not now only walks, but still likes to go caving and gets around pretty easily with a few complications here and there. B just dedicated himself to the task of overcoming whatever obstacle might be holding him up until he gets a workaround. Ted and B had their gear loaded up and ready to go by 3 o'clock to get to Mystery Cave. 
They made really good time due to B's heavy foot and agile race car driver-like reflexes. Ted had put on his gear and began to rappel into the cave. He was determined to find his prize, the small opening to another area of the cave. Once he reached the bottom of the accessible room to the cave, he started to get his tools and such together while B lowered himself into the cave. Once B had reached the cave floor and disconnected from his rappel, they together explored the well-known and open passages that had no doubt been explored a hundred times before by a hundred different explorers. After a while, Ted was ready to find what he came down there to, to see. It didn't take him very long to locate the small hole in the cave wall. Like I said earlier, it was in the deepest part of the accessible cave. The hole was low, maybe only a few feet from the ground. Ted had to kneel down to see it. It was also pushed back a bit under an overhang. Ted pulled out his mini mag light and held it up inside the small hole after turning it on to see what he could actually see. Ted's face shined with excitement. The rock wall around the small opening was only a few inches thick. It went from there into a narrow passage which appeared to open up a little further back. The passage continued back about 10 feet into a small crawl space. Man, this is playing hell with my claustrophobia. Ted's face lit up even more after the tight and narrow crawl space. It appeared to open up even more. Ted couldn't tell how much it opened up or how far it went back, but he was thrilled nonetheless. This could be a virgin passage, he thought to himself. It was obvious that no one had ever been through there before unless they were the size of Ted's hand. Ted imagined the adventure that ensued by exploring an area that no one had ever been in. Then it really hit him. He nor B were never going to fit through that hole in the cave. The hole would have to be widened. In other words, let's give the devil a bigger mouth to consume us. Ted sat there looking at the hole that was roughly the size of his fist that led to a very tight area they would have to belly crawl with the cave ceiling pressing down on their backs to get to the area where it appeared to slightly open up. Ted knew that it would take some work, but he and B's sense of determination to overcome obstacles and this small hole wasn't going to stop him. Ted and B sat down to rest in the dark chamber of the cave. They were planning their next move if they wanted to gain access past the small hole. While they say they're discussing possible methods of widening the hole to make it more accessible, they heard the wind that was blowing from the hole. It made an eerie sound as it swept into the main chamber. They could also hear what they could only describe as a low rumbling. They shook it off and let it go and chalked it up to the cave being close to a main highway that heavy trucks used. They figured the off and on rumblings were that of heavy trucks through resonating through the rocks. Rocks are perfect conductors. Thanks Rhonda from the film Tremors. Ted and B had decided that their best plan of attack would be to bring a cordless drill, a bullpen, and a sledgehammer with them. They would use the drill to drill a hole into the rock to weaken it. Then use the bullpen to insert into the hole and break away the rock from around the small hole. They would do this until the hole was wide enough to fit through and gain access. Ted and B both thought that this was a pretty straightforward and accomplishable goal. The only thing that they could foresee as being tough would be bringing the equipment down into the cave with them. Ted decided to name the passage Floyd's Tomb, after a caver by the name of Floyd Collins. As described in the book, Trapped, the story of Floyd Collins, Floyd himself was a caver in the early 1900s. Floyd got stuck in a small crawl space not too dissimilar from the one Ted and B saw on the other side of the small hole. Floyd was unable to free himself and spend his last days in a cave crawl space until he died. I have linked 
to the Amazon page where this book can be purchased. Ted and B got all of their gear gathered and started to make the ascent back to the surface. Ted was excited about the prospect of returning to this otherwise unremarkable cave. They were not even out of the cave and they were already talking and making plans about their return to this cave. In retrospect, if Ted knew what they were going to go through and what they would experience, he would have never returned. Now when we return, Ted and B make the first of several return trips to Mystery Cave. Stay with us. Hello, my name is Keely, and I am the host of a paranormal and true crime podcast. On my podcast, Missy Mysteries, I take a special focus on unsolved and missing persons cases. When I started my podcast, it was solely for the fact that I wanted to help people whose stories have not been shared. Over the year I have had it, it has evolved to be so much more, even adding a paranormal side. With the addition to a paranormal side, each week I cover a different topic. One week it will be an unsolved or a missing person, and the next week it will be a paranormal topic. Sometimes these blend together and will be two-parters where I cover the crime and the haunting in places such as Bobby Mackey's Music World, Felicia Axe Murder House, the Amityville House, Lizzie Borden's Home. If any of these sound like topics you would like to listen to, please check out Misty Mysteries anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I really do hope to see you next week on my podcast, Missy Mysteries. Welcome back to Through the Veil. When we left, Ted and his buddy B had come up with a, a plan to widen the small hole so they could enter into it and be the first to explore a new area in the cave. They would have to wait almost an entire month before they would get a chance to make it back. January 27th through 28th, 2001. Ted and B were excited to get back to the cave and begin their work. Widening the hole to allow them to get through was the only thing on their minds. This time, they came prepared. Or so they thought. They had borrowed a cordless DeWalt drill with a few masonry drill bits, two small five-pound sledgehammers with a bullpen. They couldn't wait to go back to the cave. So they left their homes with a sense of confidence. They just knew that today was gonna to be the day they were going to punch through that small opening and see the virgin tunnels within. All in all, they calculated that it should take no more than four hours to get through with their current arsenal. They will learn that they probably should have paid more attention to math class because their calculations were off by a mile. When they arrived at the cave, they had to figure out the best way to get all these tools down into the main chamber of the cave where their goal awaited them. They had decided that one of them would rappel down to a small ledge, then the other would lower the tools down via rope before rappelling down themselves and repeating the process until they had reached the cave floor. They knew the general location of the hole but also had to drag all the tools over there as well. The whole process took about an hour to complete. Once they had located the hole and brought over tools, they looked at each other with the same expression, as if to say, phase one complete. The real challenge was now upon them, widening a hole in solid rock. B took the first go at it. He took the DeWalt drill, got onto his knees to crawl under the small overhang, and began to drill into the rock around the opening. That's when they noticed that it took quite a lot of forward pressure on the drill. Once B had drilled the hole, he put the bullpen in it and smacked it with one of the sledgehammers. Nothing happened. He smacked it again. Nothing happened. He hit the bullpen again and had broke off a piece of rock about the size of a fingernail. B and Ted looked at each other and realized it was not only going to take them more than four hours to complete this task, it was going to take them more than one trip. They would celebrate on the rare occasion that they were able to break off a piece of rock about the size of their palm. 
the men would trade off when they worked themselves into a tired sweat. When Ted would work, B would be sitting, resting, getting some water and food. On occasion, they would switch up the routine and just use the sledgehammer and a cold chisel and just beat the crap out of the rock wall around the hole. The only problem with this method is that the hole was located beneath an overhang, so they couldn't get full swings for maximum power. After several hours and little progress to show for their labors, they were beginning to wish they had brought TNT into the, and to just blast the opening. They laughed at the thought because they knew that they would never be able to get their hands on TNT. They even briefly considered getting a generator and running an extension cord down for a jackhammer. Again, this was all in wishful thinking. It was only after a few hours they were able to realize what their biggest obstacle to overcome was going to be. Their first battery for their cordless drill died. They swapped out the battery and continued on slowly, but surely. They carried on their routine of drilling a hole, inserting the bullpen, and using the sledgehammer to chip away at the rim of the hole. This went on for a few more hours before the tragic death of their second battery. It was at that point they decided it was time to call it a night. When they looked upon the hole, they were proud of what little they had accomplished over the course of the day and into the night. Ted and B leaned back against the cave wall. Then they heard something. It was the howling sound that they had heard the first time they went into the cave. Except it was noticeably louder this time and seemed to be coming from within the hole itself. They listened for a moment and decided that it was probably the sound of airflow coming from the tunnel. Then they heard a rumbling sound. This one they couldn't explain. Away as easy as they had did before, saying heavy trucks on the highway. It was in the wee hours of the morning and the road wasn't busy. It too was louder and more present than it was before. It was so loud that they could determine that the sound was coming from deep within the hole. They didn't get to spend too much time gazing at the ever so slightly larger hole that they had been working on. They thought of having to lug the equipment out of the cave was lingering over their head. It was going to be a hard trip. On top of that, they were already both very tired and exhausted from their time spent chipping away at the cave wall. In their original plan, they were supposed to be finished with the hole today and get some time in to explore. Sadly, the job was a little more intense than they had thought it would be. They were tired, dirty, and ready to hit the bed. They decided against going home and just got a room at a local hotel for the night. After which they went and got some food and retired for the rest of the night into early morning. With a fresh set of charged batteries for the drill, they went back to the cave to continue their work. It went exactly as it did the day before. However, this time, the howling was continuous and the rumbling more frequent. February 10th, 2001. Ted and B got a late start back out to their mystery cave. They did most of this trip during the night hours. This time they had brought B's dog, Whip, along for this trip. Whip had been in quite a few caves with her owner before, so this wasn't a new experience for her. Whip was a small terrier. She would be perfect to put into the hole to see how far she would go on the other side. That was the plan, anyway. When they arrived at the cave, despite the darkness, they were able to get geared up quickly and start rappelling into the cave. B had a custom harness for Whip to make her descent as smooth as butter. They also didn't have as many tools this time, plus they had left a few from their last visit down there so as to not have to lug them back down again. Ted also managed to pick up two more drill batteries. Now they had a total of four. This would double the amount of time they could work. 
once they reached the cave floor, something odd happened that both Ted and B couldn't explain. Whip, who was usually very comfortable in caves and loved to explore and smell everything, started to cower behind B. She tucked her tail between her legs and began to shake. She whimpered in the darkness of the cave chamber. Worse yet, she wouldn't go near the hole in the wall. Ted and B both had never seen Whip act this way. In fact, Whip was known to do what most small dogs do and square off against other dogs two to three times larger than herself. She had no fear of running head on into the dark. But this, this was different. She wasn't anxious. She wasn't nervous. She was afraid. She sent something down there in the darkness with them. You would have thought it was Satan himself by the way she was cowering. With Whip in a terrified state, Ted and B decided that while one of them worked, the other would be sitting with Whip to keep her comforted. The whole time they were down there working, Whip never moved from her spot. She just lay there, shivering and whimpering from time to time. When thinking about the events to come, Ted would later feel that they should have given Whip the benefit of the doubt and paid more attention to her obvious display of intuition. After all, when the hair on the back of the neck of a dog stands up, it is wise to pay attention. Whip never took her eyes off of that hole. Darkcast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Hey there, Rainbow Warriors. I'm CJ, host of Beyond the Rainbow, true crimes of the LGBT. My episodes focus on crimes committed by and against the LGBTQ community. I've covered cases you probably have heard of, such as Matthew Shepard, Brandon Tina, and the Orlando Pulse nightclub massacre, as well as some lesser-known cases like the murder of Ray Hainish, the Australian gay beat murders, and the suspicious disappearance of Lisa Lynn Stone. I cover cases brought to me by listeners like Penny Brummer, who I believe was wrongfully convicted, taboo cases such as lesbian corrective rape and murder in South Africa, and Pray the Gay Away camps. I discuss gay serial killers, women who pretend to be men to hook up with other women, and trans murders. I'm opinionated and uncensored. I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but surely I'm someone shot at tequila. No matter what your gender or orientation in life might be, please join me as I tackle rainbow crimes in search of unicorn justice. Remember, it's not a crime to be gay, unless you're a murderer. March 3rd and 4th, 2001. It took Ted and B almost three weeks before they could get back to the cave. At first, this was all for fun and adventure. Now, it had become almost an obsession. Their drive out to the mystery cave was quiet for a change. Something about the way Whip reacted on the last trip shook them up a bit. Instead of talking about the approach that they were going to use for the job this time, all they had was a subdued conversation trying to explain the noises and the reason for Whip's odd behavior. For obvious reasons, they had chosen to let Whip sit this one out. Through all of the conversation, they couldn't come up with any rational or logical explanation for the events that took place on the last trip. They had also discovered that neither of them had really said anything to anyone else about their little adventures regarding the cave. This was odd as well as they were usually always ready to tell a story to their friends, but not this time. There was something dark and ominous about this adventure, something they were both secretly growing afraid of. They left town in the early afternoon to beat the traffic. The mood was so subdued that neither of them remembered at what time they actually reached the cave. However, no matter the time of the arrival, 
they got geared up quickly and began their descent once again. They were both descending into the cave when B slipped and hit a rock wall on the way down. It wasn't too bad and he was able to continue his drop. When they reached the bottom, B began patching up his arm and Ted went right to work. Ted stopped and looked over at B. They had both noticed that all the airflow had returned and so had the strange rumbling noise that they could never figure out. It was nice to see all the broken rock material around their workspace, a true sign that they were actually doing something. When they started out, the rock wall around the hole was about three inches thick. As the hole widened, so did the thickness of the wall. This started to slow the progression a bit. On the other side, in Floyd's tomb, the distance from floor to ceiling was only about seven inches, and the width of the passage was about two feet. This was extremely tight, even for a small guy like Ted. Ted and B conversed a little when there was work being done. This was mostly due to the sound of the drill or the banging of the sledgehammer. The only times they really stopped to chat was at break times. This is when one would be too tired to continue and they swapped. Small chunks of rock continued to break off and again larger sized fist chunks would break off and both of them would cheerfully celebrate with a few loud cheers. With every piece falling to the ground, they were one step closer to, well, whatever was on the other side. Ted harbored fantastical thoughts about it being some secret entrance that was closed off by the Spaniards to guard a trove of gold and other treasures. B, the more grounded one, was convinced at this point they were only going to find more cave. Ted and B were both anxious to find out who was right. Now before this trip, Ted had acquired larger masonry bits to try to speed things up a bit. Work progressed normally, or as it had on the last couple of trips, minus the incident with Whip. Ted had just replaced the third battery with the fourth one. He was on his knees drilling holes and knocking the rock loose with a hammer and bullpen when suddenly, over the loud shrill of the drill penetrating rock and Ted's earplugs, Ted heard something odd. It was very loud. And at first, Ted thought it was just a drill doing its thing in the wall. But no, this was something very different than a power tool drilling into solid rock. It took Ted a few seconds to realize that this noise was coming from within the hole. Ted ceased his drilling efforts pulled out his earplugs just in time to hear the most awful, blood-curdling scream he had ever heard come from the other side of that hole. He stared at the hole. His eyes were as wide as silver dollars. He stopped breathing momentarily. It was as if this event momentarily caused him to forget how to breathe. Ted looked over at B, who had previously been napping with his head on the rope bag. However, now he was standing up, white as a ghost, mouth hung open in horror and disbelief. Ted turned his gaze back to the hole in the wall, shaking and half expecting to see something evil staring back at him. But he saw nothing. Sometimes seeing nothing is far more terrifying than seeing something. Then Ted jumped as he heard a scraping noise behind him and it almost threw him to the ceiling like a black cat. He turned to see what it was and it was just B moving around to get his flashlight to turn on. There was now complete silence in the cave. All Ted could hear was the sound of his own heartbeat in his ears. It felt like it was going to jump right out of his chest. Ted jumped again when the silence was broken by B. B had spoken up to tell him, that whatever animal made that sound might be able to get through the tunnel and he should take some of the debris off the floor and shove it into the hole to make a small barrier on the other side between them and whatever made the noise. Ted thought it was a good idea. Good old B. Always thinking on his feet. The entire time Ted was hoisting rock debris into the hole and pushing it back with a sledgehammer, 
He was thinking to himself that noise was certainly not that of an animal, and he didn't know if B really thought it was either. Maybe he was just trying to convince himself that what he heard had a completely rational explanation. After Ted had filled the hole with loose debris, he sat there, just listening in silence, waiting for another shrill scream to come from the hole. There was also an uncomfortable silence between Ted and B. Finally, after a few minutes, B suggested that they should get back to work. Ted grabbed a flashlight and positioned it to shine to the back of Floyd's tomb. That's when they noticed that the airflow through the cave had abruptly stopped, as had the rumbling noise. B decided that he would take a turn at the work for a while, which was completely fine with Ted. After their experience with the scream, he wanted to be away from the hole for a while. Ted sat there watching B do his work. He didn't seem as concerned with what the noise was as Ted. It didn't take long for Ted to calm down as he went over the prospect of what they might find on the other side. Slowly, his fear turned into excitement again. However, Ted kept the scream in the back of his mind. All he could describe it as a man screaming as he died a violent death and a cougar screaming in pain. B let out a yell and probably a curse word or two. Ted jumped to his feet to see what was going on. Relief fell over Ted when he realized that B was complaining about the last battery drill dying. In the middle of a particularly large piece of rock that was about to come off. B set the drill down and reached for the hammer and bullpen. Through his frustration with the dead battery, he began to just slam at the bullpen that he had stuck into the hole he had drilled. After about 10 minutes, B stopped and just fell back with his back against the rock. He was panting and dripping with sweat. B lifted the hammer and pointed the handle in Ted's direction, obviously inviting him to take a few swings at it. Ted just held up his hand and shook his head. He was done and ready to leave. B didn't seem upset by it. They both began to just collect their gear while again leaving some tools behind to make their descent next time that much easier. They started their ascent back to the overworld. Ted had to stop a few times and wait for B to catch up. B wasn't slow. Ted was just eager to leave the cave and get the sound of the serenade from hell out of his mind. When they reached the surface, the cool night air hit them. They both felt an instant relief when the fresh air had hit their lungs. Despite the original plan to go home after the day's work was finished, they decided they would get a room in the same hotel again and return the next day. They went and got some dinner and turned in for the rest of the night. In hindsight, Ted couldn't even begin to understand how they got themselves so worked up to return to the cave so soon after their experience the day before. Perhaps they were just a little too eager to be the first to discover and explore new passages. Personally, I think it was probably more of a testosterone ego thing. Ted and B woke up feeling oddly refreshed compared to the last time. They had a good meal before bed and just passed out from exhaustion. Though the memory of that terrifying scream still haunted them, their enthusiasm for the adventure was rekindled. They were so energized that they felt that today was going to be the day that their months of hard work was finally going to pay off and they would be able to enter Floyd's tomb. The trip down into the cave went exactly as it had on all the previous trips, except this time B didn't get injured on the way down. Everything was exactly where they left it, and the breeze flowing through the cave had returned, along with the strange rumbling sound. They both saw the bullpen from the night before still sticking out of the rock wall, and B was eager to finish his beef with that wall. Ted sat back down in the same spot he had finished his day in the previous night. After only a few minutes, B let out the loudest cheer Ted had ever heard. 
bee turned to Ted with a handful of debris. This debris was a main factor in the prevention of accessing the area beyond the rock wall. B was panting from his exertion, an explosion of energy that he used to finally break off a rather large area of the rock from around the hole. Even though he was already beat, he had the biggest smile on his face, as did Ted. The memory of their experience the night before had been buried under the excitement of this new progress. The lower left-hand corner of the rock wall surrounding the hole had been giving them issues due to the thickness of the rock. This debris was all that remained of that stubborn area. Ted picked up a sledgehammer and began to hit the surface around the inside of the hole. This was to pound out any jagged points that could cause serious damage to a person's flesh. Ted sat back and looked at the hole. The size looked right to be able to gain entry to Floyd's tomb. It was time to see if all the work was ready to pay off. He sat there gazing at the hole, trying to figure out the best way to approach it to gain access. He decided the best way would have to be with both arms overhead in a diving position. He inserted both arms into the hole first. He then had to turn his head to the side. When he got to his shoulders, which were slightly flared out due to his arms being over his head, he could feel the rock wall pressing against his shoulders and chest. He wasn't gonna let this stop him. He pushed on through the pain. A little more and he had gotten his entire upper body into the hole and was able to start crawling through. He could now see from within the hole and get a better idea of what his crawl was going to be like. Through heavy maneuvering and some incredible flexibility, Ted had gotten his entire body through the hole and into the crawl space that lay beyond. When he found himself inside, he gained a new perspective for what this crawl was going to entail. He found himself in the largest part of the crawl with the most space, and it was still extremely tight. Ted could move his head all around in all directions freely, but every direction he could look, he found himself staring at solid rock. His chest was pinned against the cave floor and it scraped and tore his skin as he used his toes to push him through. At times, he would have to exhale all of the air in his lungs to decompress his torso to move through. He could feel the jagged edges of solid rock above him sliding down his back as he attempted to propel himself forward with toe power. Luckily, he had pushed the sledgehammer in before he entered himself. This was to push the debris that he put into the opening the night before at B's request after they heard the strange scream. With the sledgehammer out in front, he was able to determine that the narrowest part of the crawl space was a whopping seven inches from ground to ceiling. Ted continued his way through the passage, trying to arc his back by pulling his stomach into his spine to keep his chest off of the jagged cave floor. Ted thought to himself that there was more work to be done. They would have to remove more of the rocks on the cave floor. When he propelled himself forward, more and more rocks would carve into his chest. On occasion, while trying to squirm his way through the tight space, he would become pinned between a rock on the cave floor and the low ceiling overhead. He would then have to back up, which was no easy task, and try to move the offending stone by using his cheek to attempt to push it to the side. If that didn't work, he would have to back further up and move it forward with his hand. His neck was starting to get sore from holding it up in a horizontal position for so long. At times, he would lay his head down to rest, only to notice it was right on a jagged rock. He had his head turned to the right, and only a few inches from his face was a rock wall glaring back at him. Ted stopped for a moment to gather his strength to continue his push. He thought about the fact that right now there was literally a mountain on top of him. 
and an entire earth below him. If there were any sudden shift in the earth, he would be crushed, or worse, live out the rest of his days the same as Floyd Collins. Trapped within the earth, unable to escape the prison that Mother Earth made personally for him. Ted took another deep breath to signal his intent that he was going to keep pushing further into this tiny space. When he drew air into his lungs, he could feel the passage ceiling pressing down onto his back. He was going through all of this, and all he could think about was that he had to make the trip back out. Every agonizing inch he moved himself forward was another agonizing inch he would have to experience again on the way back out. Ted had come to a point that he couldn't progress any further into the passage. He had nowhere to turn around, so he did the next best thing and only other thing he could do. He started backing out of the passage. When he got back to the hole, feet first, he wriggled his way out as he ended up scraping his back and chest. When he emerged from the hole, his shirt was over his head. He had a nice set of scrapes and deep cuts, but he didn't mind. Today was a success in his book. They celebrated and gathered their gear for their trip back to the surface. They felt an overwhelming sense of accomplishment. If you like weird and strange history, then I have the podcast for you. My name is Brenda, and I'm the host of Horrifying History. Are you into the dark side of history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We talk about the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, cursed items, and unsolved mysteries, and then we look into the science and documentation to see where does the truth actually lie. Want to get spooky with us? Get your horrifying history fix by subscribing to Horrifying History, which you can find on any major podcast provider. April 7th, 2001. The next trip, they did exactly as before. When they entered the cave, they started to unpack the extra tools they brought to remove most of the loose rocks from the cave floor in the crawl space. Ted entered as he did on the prior trip. He had a couple inches more room to work with this time due to the loose rocks being removed. After a shorter amount of time than before, he reached the end of the crawl space and shouted back at B that he had finally made it. Ted was ecstatic. He had made a vow to conquer this crawl space on this trip. And he did just that. After the tight squeeze that he went through to get this far, he turned back and shouted to B, asking him how far he should venture on. Considering the strange events that had happened over the course of their many expeditions, B told him that it would be a good idea to go further into the cave, but to stay within earshot. Ted had never stopped to think that if he had run into trouble in the passage, B would not be able to come to his rescue. They were too focused on their goal and had considered themselves lucky as they had dodged a bullet several times already. After the tight crawl space, it opened up a bit. Ted still had to crawl, but he was able to do it effortlessly. He shouted back to B that he would go on for half an hour and then return. B told him to be careful in a shout back. When Ted emerged into a new room, he found that he could practically stand upright. He noticed how pristine the walls were with candle wax-like crystal formations on the walls. After about a hundred feet or so, the passage that Ted was in opened up into a new room. As Ted entered the room, he had a strange and unsettling feeling. Ted felt like he was being watched. All of his excitement had faded and the memories of the strange noises and Whip's odd behavior crept back to the forefront of his mind. Then suddenly, after the rush of memories came flooding back, he realized he was alone and that if something did happen to him down there, he was screwed. 
He then realized that his time was nearly up, and he had to get back to B before his half hour was up. He began to take several pictures inside the room when something caught his eye. On the left side of the room, he saw what appeared to be symbols on the cave wall. He rubbed his eyes to make sure it wasn't just discoloration of the rock. But no, they were still there at about his eye level. It looked like a very rudimentary drawing of people standing below a larger symbol. He stared long enough to remember it, snapped some photos using his disposable camera. He then started his trip back to B. When he reached B, he could hardly keep up with his own words describing everything he had seen, and Ted was eager to show B the pictures he had taken. However, something unusual happened when the photos were developed. All of the pictures that he had taken in the large room with the symbols did not come out. They were just blank. Even the negatives were blank. All of the pictures he took in the passage leading up to the room were fine. He had no pictures of any symbols to show B. But Ted reassured him that he knew what he saw and was convinced that he remembered enough to draw it. April 14th, 2001. The last trip to the cave. Ted and B had no idea that this trip would be their last when they set out to go back to the cave. B had hooked up with another caver named Joe. Joe was smaller than Ted, so he would have no doubt have a much easier time with the cave than Ted did. When they all arrived at the mystery cave and made their descent to the cave floor, Joe saw the work that they had put in and was impressed. Joe was super stoked to get started. The plan was that Ted and Joe would go through the passage, have two hours to explore the rooms located on the other side. This made Ted's day because now there were two of them and safety, while still a concern, was less troubling. Ted was amazed at how quickly Joe navigated the tight squeeze of a crawl space. He was following Joe through when he lifted his head too quickly and smacked his skull on the solid rock overhead. B was still close enough that he could feed Ted the first aid kit. Ted patched himself up, cleared the blood that was escaping from his wound. He then told Joe that he didn't feel very good and that they should cancel their trip into the cave that day. Joe looked at Ted like a little boy who wanted a PlayStation for Christmas and ended up getting clothes. Ted felt bad that Joe had made the whole trip and wouldn't get to see any parts of the new passages or rooms. Ted knew it wasn't a great idea to let Joe go off alone, but he did anyway. Ted told him how far it would be into the passage and how long it should take. Ted sat and watched Joe's progress into the cave until the light from his flashlight couldn't be seen anymore. Ted sat back down with B in the main room while Joe went off to explore to make his trip worthwhile. They sat there and began talking about all of the hard work it took to finally get into that passage. Then the unsettling topics came up. The sudden change in wind strength in the cave, Whip's behavior, the scream, the rumbles, and other noises they had heard coming from the hole. They were ashamed that they never informed Joe of these incidents before sending him off alone to explore. The idea of sending him off alone in the cave suddenly felt like it wasn't just a bad idea. It felt like a horrible idea. B got up and went over to the hole and yelled Joe's name into it. There was nothing but silence. The new time limit of 20 minutes had come and gone and they still heard no sounds coming from the passage. Ted had no desire to crawl back through there, especially with his head wound that was still throbbing. However, he knew that he would have to go back in and get Joe to make sure everything was all right. Ted stood up and walked towards the hole that led to the passage. And just as he was ready to enter, he noticed something, a small light at the end of the passage. He called out to Joe, no response. The light grew brighter 
and Ted could now hear the sounds of shuffling rock as if someone or something was crawling towards them. He called out to Joe again, and again, no response. Ted shouted into the hole again, asking Joe if he was okay. This time, he got a response. No, Joe answered through a weak tone. When Joe had made it out of the passage, he looked pale. His face was covered in rock dust, and he told Ted and B that he didn't feel well. His eyes were locked wide open. He had numerous cuts, scratches, and scrapes all over his face and arms. Without saying a word, Joe and B gathered their stuff and began to go back to the surface. Ted stopped for a moment to listen into the passage, and he heard nothing but silence. The wind had also stopped again. Ted suddenly felt that if he didn't leave the cave now, he would never get out alive. When they all reached the surface, Ted and B thought they would be able to get more information out of Joe regarding what had happened to him. This didn't happen. Instead, Joe just disconnected his clips, walked to the truck, got in, and shut the door. He didn't say a word. On the way back home, the ride had an eerie silence to it. Ted asked Joe if he saw the symbols on the cave wall. Joe answered, no. He then asked him if he heard them yelling for him again, no. Ted asked him if he saw the crystal formations and again, no. Joe responded that he got a little ways in and just started to feel sick and came back. Ted thought that his answers were odd because Joe would have had to have gotten far enough into the cave to see the crystal formations for him not to hear them yelling for him. Also, Joe presented no elaborations on his answers. Ted felt that Joe deserved to know about the strange occurrences that happened in that cave. After Ted filled him in, Joe just sat there quiet didn't respond, just stared blankly straight ahead. When they got to Joe's house, they asked him if he wanted to return to the cave, to which he shook his head and raced into his house. Ted tried over the next few days to call Joe and got no answer, only his voicemail. May 19th, 2001. Afterwards. When Ted left the cave on the last trip, he was in an extreme state of shock. For days afterwards, he couldn't eat or sleep. Ted and B parted company after this trip was over. Neither made the attempt to contact the other or Joe. Ted spent the next several days staying inside his home. He was restless and the only thing he could think to do was to write his experiences down in his journal. This lifted the burden but it was short-lived. In fact, that's when things took a turn for the weird and worse. Ted began hearing odd and unexplainable noises in his home. Footsteps in an otherwise empty room, shuffling noises, doors creaking open or closed. The sounds were not distinct enough for Ted to narrow down their origins or help him determine if he had heard what he thought he heard. When they would happen, they wouldn't repeat for a while. He began to feel anxiety, foreboding, and tension filled his mind. It wasn't long before he was not only hearing sounds, but seeing things as well. Before, Ted had only been sleeping with just the lights on in his room. But as time progressed and the images became more frequent, he had been turning all the lights on in his house and keeping them on from the time the sun went down until the sun came back up. He'd become so shaken that he purchased a gun, thinking he may have to defend himself at some point from whatever it was that had began to terrorize him. Ted went to his doctor and didn't give him any details of their expeditions, just said that he couldn't relax, hadn't eaten or slept in days, and was anxious all the time. He still saw things out of the corner of his eye. However, this soon evolved into shapes and shadows. He would see disturbing shapes outside of his bedroom window at night. There wasn't enough detail that he could discern what he was seeing, 
He solved this by closing all of the drapes and blinds to keep him from potentially seeing something that could stop his heart in its tracks. Ted spent days on the internet researching caves and cave folklore to try to get a, an answer for what was going on. The only story he could find that was cave folklore was about the Hodag. It is a creature that reportedly roams around caves. Ted began to have very lucid nightmares of people chasing him through his house, but he couldn't run away because he would look down and he had no legs to speak of. Another one, he was in a large vat and someone or something was pouring a syrup-like liquid over him, slowly filling up the vat. He would wake in a sweat-filled panic. Over time, these dreams became so vivid that he had a hard time distinguishing whether he was asleep or awake. Then it all came to a head. Ted was walking from the living room to his bedroom when he saw a dark figure standing at the end of the hallway. He initially thought someone had broken into his home, so he started to back up slowly. The figure didn't move. The lights in his home began to flicker on and off. He felt every muscle in his body tense up. Then the phone rang and caused him to stumble over a chair. He quickly looked up in the direction of the figure and it was gone. He got his keys and ran out of the house and jumped into his car. He had a sudden urge, no, a need, to take a drive to Overlook Point to see the city lights spread over the valley. When he arrived at Overlook Point, he saw something that startled him. This feeling left when he realized what it was. It was Joe standing there beside his car, looking out over the city lights. Ted walked over to him and their conversation was extremely brief. Joe asked him if he was going back. Ted replied with a single word, yes. Joe then said that they needed to go back. Ted responded by asking if tomorrow was good. He replied that yes, it was a good day, and they would start their return to the cave at noon the following day. Then, without saying another word, Joe got into his car and drove off. Ted drove over to B's house. When he answered the door, B seemed to look as if he were doing okay, and even somewhat happy. However, after B had the chance to look Ted over, his happy disposition changed. Ted had told him that he ran into Joe and that they were heading back to the cave the following day at noon. B looked at Ted with a dead look on his face. Ted asked him if he could crash there for the night. After all, he didn't want to face what was waiting for him at his home. B led him to the guest room and that's when Ted noticed that every single light was on in B's house. He didn't mention this conversation to B. He washed up in the bathroom took his medication and laid down for the best sleep he had gotten in a long time. When Ted awoke the next morning, he began preparing for the trip back to the cave with Joe. B was also tagging along. For the first time ever, he was packing a gun to take into a cave, along with a knife and lots of food and water. He was awaiting the appointed time to meet Joe and go to the cave. He was setting out for answers and to fix what was going on. The time came and all three men left for the cave and have not been seen since. The last note in his journal was dated 5-19-2001 and it reads, There are so many things I hope to accomplish this day. So many answers I hope to find in a tiny passage hidden from view. Reflecting on the events leading up to today leaves me feeling dizzy. Was this all a bad dream? Unfortunately, I'm wide awake and still in a few short hours I might face my nightmare. The thought of having another person with me in the passage does nothing to alleviate the fear that I feel. I almost chuckle as I ponder a childish notion that we will have to consider who will enter the tomb first? Who will lead the way into the dark unknown? Who will decide when to turn back? 
Foremost among the questions in my mind is, what about the video camera that I left behind? Is it supposed to be able to record in complete darkness? I left that thing running, so what might we find on the tape? Darker questions follow. What if the camera is gone? What if it is destroyed? Although it is difficult to put an exact name on my motivation, I think closure fits quite nicely. I need to find out a few things about this cave. The main thing, believe it or not, is to find the end of the cave. With all of the bizarre things I've witnessed these past few weeks, it would seem a bit trite to want as a primary goal to get to the end. But that is what I want. To be sure, I will be seeking other bits of knowledge along the way. If, however, I find the end to the main passage and an end to the passage hidden by the rock, I will be content to never return to the passage or cave again. Ever. It would seem to me that crawling headfirst through a tight passage into the darkness is an unnatural thing, just like crawling up the side of a cliff for recreation or jumping out of a perfectly good airplane and floating to the ground. We do these things to satisfy our hunger for adventure, this subconscious desire to conquer our own little Everest. As B is fond of saying, caving is the last opportunity for exploration for the person with modest means. True. Just a short drive from just about anywhere in the country is a cave waiting to be explored. Even a cave well known among the general public can be approached by someone for the first time as an adventure, something new, something to overcome, because it's there. Many of you don't agree with my decisions to pursue this cave. I know this from the messages I have received. I'm afraid I don't have a choice. If I'm ever to experience restful slumber, I must return. If I'm ever to walk the halls of my home in peace, I must return. If I am ever to exit the overworld and enter the subterranean world of a cave, I must now return. I no longer feel that I have a choice. I must return. For my family and friends who are reading this, I say be at peace. I will conquer this cave. Then I will return and update this website immediately. I will include any photos we take in the cave today and if you stop by the house I will show you the video I will have. I expect to be home later tonight or tomorrow at the latest. See all of you soon with lots of answers and love. Ted now there have been no updates to his webpage since. When you click the next link at the bottom of it, it just repeatedly puts you back on the same page. As I said before, this has been debated as a hoax. However, some still believe in its authenticity, and it has never been proven to be a hoax. All of the names were changed in the content as Ted wanted to keep some privacy. He also said these things at the start of his story. Number one, most of the pictures taken were taken with a Kodak disposable type camera. I took a better camera into the cave on one or two of the trips. Pictures on this site are all original photos and have not been messed with or enhanced, other than when noted. As a rule, I get my pictures put onto disk at the time of developing so I don't have to scan them later. This ensures the best digital quality. I will not reveal the names of the other people involved in this experience. If you know me well enough, you probably know them already. Number three, I will not reveal the location of the cave to anyone for any reason, so please don't ask. I refuse to be held accountable for anyone's life but my own. I will refer to the cave as Mystery Cave. That is not its real name. And lastly, if you think these events sound far-fetched, I agree. I would come to the same conclusion had I not experienced them myself. So listeners, what do you think? You can reach out to me on my website through theveilpodcast.com and let me know. Now that's all the time we have for this episode, and I thank you so much for listening. Remember to visit the show website at throughtheveilpodcast.com for more information on today's episode. You can find that information by going to the latest episode page. If you like what you hear and want to show your support financially, you can click the link to support the show in the episode description. 
You can also see other ways to support the show on the website. Or you can go to buymeacoffee.com, look for Through the Veil, and buy me a coffee. But, of course, the absolute best support you can give is listening to the show every Tuesday, giving it a five-star review and telling your friends that like to have their spooky bone tickled about the show. You can also reach me by emailing me at jd at throughtheveilpodcast.com. If you have any true spooky stories of your own, send them to me and let me tell your story. Once again, I'm JD. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep an open mind.